Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at That's Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. What is The Briefing Room? It's a behind-the-scenes look at how the criminal justice system works and the lives of the people within that system. If you love true crime, well, these are the real people who do the job every day of making sure justice is served. Hi, I'm Detective Dave. I'm Detective Dan. Together, we have decades of experience in local law enforcement, a profession that we think is often misunderstood. So we're going to explore how to do it right, and we won't shy away from when it's done wrong. These are stories you'll hear nowhere else. Unique, frank, and unvarnished. From the team that brought you Small Town Dicks, this is The Briefing Room. Episode 1 drops on August 30th. We'll meet you in The Briefing Room. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com And welcome back to Scarred for Life, the podcast where we open up old wounds by looking back at the films that scared us as kids. I'm Terry. And I'm Mary Beth. In each episode, our special guest brings with them a movie that traumatized them as a child. This week, our guest is Nay Beaver. She's a Black queer abstract artist and was one of the co-hosts of the Attack of the Queer Wolf podcast. Welcome to the show, Nay. Hi. (laughs) Thank you so much for, for doing this. We've been wanting to get you on for some time and, you know, just schedules and stuff. So I'm so glad you're here. Yeah, yeah no, I'm so glad too. It's really nice to see both of your faces and hear your voices. Like it's like <laughs> real. We I always say this, but it's always funny, like actually talking to someone who you follow on Twitter forever and only interact with on the internet. And you're yeah. like, oh, you have a face, you have a voice. Yeah. yeah. Or it's like, oh, maybe I do like you. You're so much better not on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> the worst is when they're not. <laughs> Yeah. 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 Anyway. Yeah. Totally. Uh huh. So, how we always get things started is we we like to know what was your first introduction to horror. I think that it was Halloween in my grandma's bedroom. Not sure what age, but definitely like a single digit age. Uh, oh, you know, yeah. on t- on TNT, so an edited version. Um, and with my finger on the return button, so I could like change the channel anytime I heard someone coming near me. Um, and it was exhilarating and terrifying. And I felt like a badass because I knew I wasn't supposed to be doing it. Oh, so you were watching it by yourself. Oh, yes. By myself. Oh, yeah. I couldn't trust anybody for not telling <laughs> me, you know. Uh, definitely by myself. And of course, I thought God was also watching with me at the time. Maybe he was. <laughs> I'm like, how'd you like it? What'd you think? Give us your review. <laughs> Yeah, uh, you know, anything I could sneak and watch because I did like breaking rules, but I was also very scared of getting in trouble. So I tried to only do things 
that I could reasonably get away with. So was uh, was horror not really allowed in your house? Is that? Oh, absolutely not. Mm. Uh, most most things weren't. Uh, most secular mm. movies, ah. you know, anything violent, anything sexual, anything black, because that was deemed as inherently violent and sexual yeah so i mean i would i also had to sneak and watch like fear factor because i wasn't supposed to watch that either so it's (laughs) it's not even like yeah you know one day my mom saw someone eating something like raw and bloody and she was like you know it's a sin uh to eat blood like that blood is uh sin is in the blood or something absurd you know and i was like damn can't even i did not even know that there that eating blood was a sin i mean i guess i mean don't we eat the don't you drink the blood of christ uh if you know if you're gonna believe in something it's good that you can just make up rules as you go along that's very true (laughs) where what religion what religion was it christian some kind of yeah there's protestant christians uh like independent fundamental evangelical baptists so terry might like be able to see the difference in denominations being like in middle america because yeah they get really really you know serious about their slight oh they do it's 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 funny i remember um one of the offices that i worked at my boss was catholic and a co-worker was i think baptist but it was um evangelical and like the arguments they would get into (laughs) over a literal or a figurative reading of the bible and all that stuff that was like right outside of my fucking desk and i'm sitting here a little atheist me going what kind of hell am i sitting at work (laughs) my boss would get into arguments with his subordinate about religion and the differences in the bible so yeah, I I know exactly what you're talking about. I can't. I I uh, I was always so jealous of Catholics because I thought it was so cool that they got to pray to a woman. Because mm. when we were only allowed to pray to Jesus specifically, not even you know God the Father, the Holy Spirit, nothing like Jesus. And I was like, oh, you get to pray to Mary. That's so interesting. <laughs> it felt like so. I mean, I, clearly, I was just like very gay. <laughs> i just want to pray to a woman please yeah. i just want to pray and worship a woman. that's just like you know why wouldn't you anyway yeah i grew up catholic in a very catholic area so i am very much like i only know catholicism which is its own brand of garbage but <laughs> so i know that like you had to like hide what you were doing but Mm -hmm. did you have horror favorites growing up oh yeah 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 uh I definitely I mean for some reason Halloween was just so accessible Mm -hmm. like on television uh as a kid that I didn't even have to have like a a free weekend of stars or like some other random thing come through for me to catch it and eventually I looked old enough to rent things before Mm. I was 18 um because I was just a very tall kid And so I, it was easy to hide it because I had a lot of, uh, alone time, like in a like single mom home. Like I had a lot of alone time and I looked old enough to rent the movies I wanted to rent. And sometimes even like go to the theater if they like weren't checking IDs, you know, like a little small town theater. Right. Uh, so yeah, Halloween stayed a favorite for a long time. And I'm, of course it's like, it has to just be a a forever favorite really. Cause how do you not? But I got was of course really obsessed with Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Still am, and so good. 
Oh, yes. So good. So still so scary and unnerving. It's just, it's like disgusting. Truly disgusting. I don't think I realized as a kid that like so much of what was grossing me out was like the set. Yeah. <laughs> like it like makes you feel pile. itchy and dirt. <laughs> yeah. Like it's just itchy. It's the whole thing is just itchy. Yeah, for yeah, sure. It's like one of those movies that you can smell. You can smell it coming out of the screen. Yes. I was just about to say that, Terry. You can <laughs> totally smell it for sure. You know, because my gra- uh, my godparents had a pig farm. Oh. And I, to me, pig farms smell worse than like any other kind of farm. I'm like, I could drive by 10,000 cows and be like, eh, not too bad. You, you won one swine. You're like, holy shit. <laughs> like, yeah. What is that? So yeah, the, the piles of chicken bones and just like how cavernous you know, one and, and the sequel is like, yeah, gross. (laughs) Gross. And I know exactly what you're talking about, about driving through. Cause like, I, I mean, we would do a lot of cross country, like not cross country, but we'd go visit my, my, my grandma. Cause we lived in in Nebraska and we would drive up to like either South Dakota where they lived or Iowa Mm -hmm. where they lived. And you would pass Mm -hmm. so many farms and like, yes, the cows smell terrible, but then you cross one pig farm and it's like, what is dying? Yeah. (laughs) It ha- it's such a distinct smell. And it's funny, my godparents, w- when we would complain about the smell, they would be like, smells like money. Which is also like, which <laughs> my is parents would say disgusting. something similar. <laughs> so, okay, here's a question. Would they slaughter the pigs on the farm too? Uh, no, actually, they did not slaughter on their farm. Okay. They sent it out to a slaughter. Okay. So, uh, not so it wasn't that gross. Well, it's gross, but you know <laughs> Yeah, there's like pig shit everywhere and like mm-hmm. dead baby pigs, but like you know, <laughs> yeah, not the slaughter aspect, right? <laughs> Just dead baby <laughs> pigs everywhere, right? Which, oh god, yeah, that, so. that's a horrific image right there. <laughs> uh, yeah, it, but it felt so it felt so good to watch something um, of like a, a rural kind of farm like uh, area that was it was like you were supposed to be scared of it and it was supposed to be evil and it was supposed to be gross. And it was like really validating to see something portrayed that way, because it's like, if I had those feelings about environments that I was in, it was like, stop it. You're being silly. No, this isn't scary. No, this isn't gross, you know? And so it was kind of mm-hmm. like really thriving. <laughs> see, off of that it is, vibe. It like, is. yes, like absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So what does what draws you to horror now as an adult? I mean, I still think it's the same thing, really underlying. I think it's what draws me to all of my favorite things where it's like, well, I mean, I think inherently it's something I enjoy. Like maybe I would have enjoyed it regardless of if it'd been kept away from me or not. But I mean, maybe it's petty or immature. I really don't care. But I truly, there's certain things that I find myself doing as an adult, whether they're like really hedonistic or blasphemous or like something R-rated or wrong or, or watching, you know, whatever that is. I just find it th- so thrilling that one, I get to do it like kind of whenever I want. Um, mm. That two, I'm not going to hell for any of it. And that it's also something that I really enjoy. And I'm like, how dare you try to keep this from me? <laughs> like, how yeah. dare you? I mean, I think of that when I'm watching horror, I think of that during sex or like anything that's just like amazing and you're like how dare you like no wonder you wanted to keep me from this because you knew that if I could experience this or ask questions in this way that everything you've taught me would unravel 
And I would have to also question that. And um, I think it's still just like really perks me up to do bad things (laughs) or something. I don't know. I love that. I don't know. It's, uh, I wish it was like something else. Maybe, maybe, no, I don't want to wish. I don't want to have like shame around that or feel like I am just my eight year old self is feeling like a bad girl because maybe that's super cool too. I don't know. (laughs) So do, do you still get that kind of childhood fear and fascination watching horror movies? You know, that's a, that's a really interesting question. I, I mean, obviously I can access whatever I want to, I mean, you know, for the most part now. And so I guess there's not a, like the kind of thrill that comes from possibly getting caught or like what comes when you have to like defend your choices. That's not so much there. Not that people don't shit on horror all the time and you have to defend your choices because of course, but I guess I, I still always understand that this is something I get to do of my own choosing. Um, and I think that that comes up every single time I watch something or listen to something that I know that I, I would have had to work really hard to have access to as a kid. And so I think that I'm still fascinated by seeing like beautifully orchestrated violence mm-hmm. <laughs> or something in a horror film. And I'm still struck by the fact that we get to create things like this. And that we get to like enjoy it or be scared of it or like create things just to get scared from it and or like create things just to do something as disgusting or or as uh, unnerving and and, like chilling as possible that we get to like decide to do that um, and that we get to like it and not have to explain it. And I, I don't, I obviously could not have articulated that as a kid, but no, of course not. I can feel inside of myself that I'm like soothing something that I I wouldn't have even known I needed to soothe as a young person. Um, and so I, I do think that there's a lot of things the same. I, I don't feel as like scared of the same kind of things in movies mm-hmm. that scared me as a kid. Um, like d- demonic things don't scare me now as an adult, but as a kid who believed in a lot of those things, oh, <laughs> wow, <laughs> that was like really scary, you know? Did you see The Exorcist when you were younger? Yes. Okay. I was going to say, that's like the pinnacle of like, yes. Even if you grew up religious, you're like, fuck, uh uh-uh. Nope. This is happening. It's going to happen. It's real. Yeah. Yeah. And I I used to think that maybe that could happen to you just from watching the film. Yes. Like, oh, yeah. (laughs) Like, I'm opening up this doorway to the occult and Satan and hell by just like viewing these things. And so, yeah, the things I'm scared by have changed, but also like, as an adult, the things I find scary in movies are different because I've experienced like different kinds of relationships and different mm-hmm. kinds of like yeah. life stressors and have lost people and gained people. And, you know, and now it's like horror. I see all of the kind of background issues that can add so much fear and horror to a film because you're a grown up now and you have experienced even more horrors of your own and you can relate in a different way which that's is such a good way amazing. of putting it that's like such a good way of putting it of like how you grow up and different things get so much scarier and like I don't know it's just like a really cool way of putting it because I never thought about it like that like in my head it feels that way but like it's really I've never totally. articulated it before if I'd watched hereditary when I was like nine like what would I have found most scary like certainly certain things but 
now it's like what I find most scary is like generational mental illness <laughs> mm-hmm. as someone who is mentally ill from generations of mentally ill women. Like I'm like, Oh my God, <laughs> this is terrifying. That movie yeah. comes up so much with movies that like sc- have scared us recently. I was going to ask like what movie, what other movies have scared you recently? It sounds like hereditary. Definitely. Yeah. I mean, in terms of, of scared I feel like there's movies that leave like kind of resonate with me in a in a fear that like reminds me of my own mortality or mm-hmm. like my own kind of like interpersonal traumas that's scary I don't find myself scared from movies like like I watch Hostel and I can't sleep that night like that's not yeah how I usually feel fear from movies um I definitely jump scares will get me in a pinch because I'm really a jumpy person and I and I love jump scares I would never hate on jump scares but yeah, what I find scary now is like movies that make you have to think about yourself in like, and and the awful reality of being known <laughs> and yeah. like aging and death and yeah. family. And so like, uh, yeah, Hereditary, the taking of Deborah Logan, I talk about that mm. all the time because oh. I thought like having to be caretaker for someone and not being the gay kid caretaker of your mom. Like I was like, this is terrifying. Oh my God. That movie is pretty sick on its own, but like that whole other layer of just absolute sadness is. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Um, God, now, and now my mind's blanking, uh, for that always happens like hey me, but what movies have you watched nothing i've like <laughs> literally i've never watched never seen a movie. single movie i've never watched a single movie in my entire life i'm a fraud i write about <laughs> movies but i've never seen a single one I, it always happens when people are like can you recommend me a horror movie i'm like Mm-mm, i've never watched a horror movie they're like what's wrong with you i'm like nope i don't know i got nothing nothing's left you know an older movie that I watched uh, that that scared me. Um, Let's scare Jessica to death. I have never seen. I the movie. need to see that. I have not seen it. I mean, I think that certainly, like, it, I didn't expect it to scare me. Just kind of like reading about it and watching it. But any movie where someone isn't believed, mm. uh, and it's I like my. I mean, literally in my chest right now, I feel the like sadness and fear. <laughs> that yeah. comes from yeah you knowing something is true and not being able to like have anyone validate that for you i yeah i've been meaning to that watch out. that it's been on my list for a while and i just i just haven't haven't gotten to it yet but like i know that it's like not what people like it it's not what it you think it might be in the beginning yeah 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 i mean it's, it's also hilarious like i think it's just a fun <laughs> watch <laughs> like you'll experience a few different emotions <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> So I know that um, Attack the Queer Oaf is probably over, but I have to tell you that as a gay person living in the center of the country, it meant so much to me. And I'm just curious. Well, it it did. Because like, especially like on my long commute in the morning, I mean, I don't have that right now, but like in my long commute Mm -hmm. in the morning, it would be the thing that like, it was my little, my little queer hour. I could like listen to people that I don't get to see very often, like Mm -hmm. my kind that mm-hmm. are like talking about horror movies and it, it made me feel seen, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm, I'm curious how, how that all came together and how you got involved with it. Yeah. Well, um, first of all, I love that so much, Terry. I'm so glad that if anything that came from the show, it was helping queer and trans folks not feel alone. 
and it's it's kind of poetic that that has been like the the main result of the show because uh, how I got into it was I was working at the Trevor Project, which you are very familiar with. Oh, yeah. And um, I think the number one lesson I learned from working there in crisis services was that feeling alone and never being validated for how you feel is extremely dangerous. So I, I was working there and uh, Michael Kennedy, my co-host on Attack with Queer Wolf, uh, his boyfriend is a volu- was a volunteer at the Trevor Project and I worked with the volunteers a lot. And I, to my knowledge, uh, Michael and Mark had decided to do the show. I don't know a lot of the background behind that of like how that came to be. Um, But I know at some point someone said like, hey, there's two white guy hosts. Maybe there should be a host that is not that. (laughs) Because like enough. Um, Yeah. And I think Brian was talking about it with the other volunteers and another volunteer said, hey, I think Nay likes horror movies. And, and, and I, so I got linked to Michael that way. And we, uh, Michael, Mark and I met up to see if we had any chemistry and so they could like vet me and whatnot, you know, and we just, we hit it off. Uh, and they were like, oh, we have a few other people we're going to meet with, um, before we make a decision, but this was amazing. We'll get back to you. And then they got back to me. So that was, yeah, that was what happened. And I, uh, I'm so I feel so honored to have been a part of any uh, kind of isolated queer person's relief, because like I said, and and like we all know, especially right now and how isolated many of us feel. Yeah, it, it's so dangerous for mental, emotional, physical, spiritual, whatever kind of health you're thinking of to feel alone in what you're feeling. And the 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 thing that we also know is that even we it's of course we feel alone in those things but almost the moment we we speak up or not speak up to make it feel like it's someone's like fault that they're alone but the moment that we find it safe to express who we are or express our feelings or be vulnerable almost instantly there are people who can understand that um and who are like uh, i felt that or i can understand why you feel that way or people just straight up be be like no, actually being gay is not weird. That's totally normal (laughs) or something along those lines. And that was a lot of work that I did at the Trevor Project, kind of normalizing people's feelings, validating their feelings. Um, And I am really honored that that any of that ever came from the show in terms of being able to validate people's feelings or make them feel less alone because I I want to always be doing that if I can, um, because I want that all the time. I need that. And I think similar to when we were talking about let's scare Jessica to death and I mentioned the fear around mm-hmm. not being believed or validated. Uh, God, like it, I mean, it's even something that seeps into my dreams at night where I'm like trying to convince someone of some kind of truth for me. And it's like, I'm screaming and they can't hear me and just way too many of us experience that. So I, that is like, it was an unexpected uh, result of the show, but it's like my favorite result of the show um, and we definitely got lots of messages similar to yours from people in in rural areas or just in families that where they couldn't be themselves or or tell their truth at all. And it was the same story of like them getting in their car and then getting to be with like three queer people. And that just means the world to me. 
that I, I, I wasn't even thinking about that as a possibility. And then that happened and it's the best thing that I've done. <laughs> I mean, it, it's, it's so important. It's, it's to be able to like see yourself or hear yourself or have yeah. that kind of validation that there are other people out there because for the longest time, I thought I was the only weirdo little kid that was, that had these weird feelings that right. liked horror. And I never saw anything of myself in culture. Um, mm-hmm. It was like not talked about. I mean, you know, you come up yeah. in the nineties and it's like, everything is, well, don't ask, don't tell. Or it was like, you know, like that was supposed to be the the kind of like olive branch, you know? So it's like, that was what I was seeing. And that's why, I, you know, you push away so much of that thinking, well, I want to be normal. I don't want to be like, like this other stuff that's like never talked about or that's pushed in the corner or whatever. So I think it's really important now. And I think it's awesome that we're seeing so many, we're seeing so many queer podcasts pop up in the last few years. And I think, I I think that's amazing to see. And I'm, I'm so, so I I'm so thankful that, that yours was one that did that for people. (laughs) I'm glad that uh, for the connections it's brought me for sure. um, Including you. (laughs) So um, and then I also I'm had a question. Very wholesome. And good. Oh my God. How adorable. I can't. It's like the, uh, the, um, gosh, what is his name? The Maroon five singer, that gift that goes on where he's like sitting there in the voice chair and he's like pulling up the shirt. That's how I feel right now. Um, <laughs> uh, but uh, also you are a fantastic artist and um, I have fallen in love following you on Instagram and, and especially your, your art account. How did you get into art? And can you talk a little bit about um, your style? I suppose I've always been a creative person um, in terms of like uh, seeking some kind of aesthetic in the things around me and changing things and moving things around um, and creating things out of whatever was kind of lying around. Um, I think it's just something I always enjoyed and something that I did that brought me some kind of relief from just being very emotional all the time and needing like it, the combination of liking to do it. And then it also like being beneficial for me. Um, and it definitely wasn't some, yeah, therapeutic. And I, it's definitely not something I ever considered as a career, even through grad school, it was just something I did for fun. And which obviously is better than ever having anything as a career, just doing things for fun. <laughs> um, because what does that even me, mean <laughs> at this point? Like, right. <laughs> I'm like monetizing anything is like, it, it kills all of the joy. No, just kidding. Not all of it, but um, just like 75% think, of it. just like most of it. <laughs> um, but it was something that kind of picked up for me while I was working for many years in crisis services. Um, not only something that I would bring, like if I had like IR at like in-person work to do with young people, um, it was always like a fun activity to include some kind of like creative as- aspect. But it was also something that picked up a lot in my personal life because I was a troubled, <laughs> you know, I was really stressed out, experiencing a lot of secondary trauma Um, I was a lot younger than I am now, and I didn't have the knowledge of my own mental health needs, any of my needs really at all. Um, And I was someone who still thought that there was some kind of prize to be won for working too hard. Um, And there is not. Mm. Mm. (laughs) No, no, no. Hard work does pay off. But in terms of like, 
working too hard at a nonprofit that's just going to replace you if you die. That's what I mean. And I would do it all over again because I think that the actual work that gets done at those places, and if you are like in direct services or, or whatnot, is very important. Yeah. And I think like that's how they hook you to work hard because it's like, well, duh, of course I care about homelessness or of course I care about young queer kids feeling suicidal. But it's like those organizations are also going to be like, here's $15 an hour in the city of Los Angeles. Mm. And um, you're not going to have any money to do any self-care. And you're also going to be worried about your bills all the time. So that, that might stress you out on the side. But you are saving lives. And you're like, that's true, though. I am. And so you kind of like, it's it's complicated. I, I yeah. Like I said, I do it all over again. But in my effort to kind of deal with all of my own turmoil um, and, and work turmoil and then the world turmoil, I was making a lot of art. Um, and uh, people wanted to buy it. And I was like, well that makes me feel like I'm scamming people because why would you want to buy this? Because <laughs> it's beautiful, Nay. <laughs> and I'm not saying I feel like that anymore, but I was someone who was like, well, oh, I'd never thought about like trying to make money off of this. But at some point when I was working, you know, showing up to a job every day for years, I was like, well, what, what would I like to do with my life? Is that something I should ask? And I just, I guess I wasn't someone who really imagined my life after college. And I don't know if that's because I didn't think I would be alive or mm. if like I had been told like, you know, you're fat and ugly. No one will ever marry you. Like, what are you even looking forward to? I don't know what it was, but all of a sudden I found myself like, oh, should I, do we really just work all the time and then die? And of course, that is like most people's realities. We're talking about capitalism and like all of the other isms that are part of that. And coming from a single mom home, it's like, yeah, bitch, of course, you just go to fucking work. Like you need money. And I just, I felt miserable and I didn't feel like, I still didn't have enough money. And I felt like I was out of control. And there's something about having it's kind of like doom scrolling, having so much access mm -hmm. to traumatic information. I, I, it was hard for me to feel like these hard things were, were avoidable when it's like such concentrated content of, of people's, the worst days of their lives or something. Right. Yeah. And so I was like, well, even though I feel bad that I can't do this work forever because it's killing me, what if I thought about myself? And I couldn't even say it with like full like gumption because it still felt silly and it still didn't feel like something important. But I was like, well, what if I just kind of faked it till I make it? Like, what if I just decide the thing or I try to understand what makes me happy and then I try to do those things? And I think it all kind of came together at once where I had like started investing in myself for once, started being honest about how I felt for once started like having a broader understanding of just like Los Angeles and all the possible creative possibilities that are around, which is funny. Cause I guess that's why most people move to LA, but that's, that was not like part of my decision-making for moving to LA and found myself in a really privileged position where I had already started selling work. Um, which I think is like half of the battle in terms of like, I mean, you should make art regardless. If you want to make art, you should make regardless of whether you want to sell it or people like it. Right. Um, but there is something very validating yeah. about money because, you know, it's 
capitalism and we're like, well, without it, we die. So, wow, I feel great. Someone wants to give me <laughs> money for this. Um, and it just kind of all happened at once where I, when I feel insecure, I think about some like mediocre white guy who like may or may not be talented, but it wouldn't matter because he's just going to shoot his shot. And I try to really invoke that at times um, just to be like, well, why not? Because I'm, you know, I'm not even a religious person. Like to me, I'm like, I'm just going to rot in the ground when this is over. So like, who really cares if I try something that doesn't work out? Or if I try something and people don't like it and I have to feel rejection, like, what if I just live and, okay, who's that cutie back there? <laughs> Sorry, that's my boyfriend. And then that's our kitten who has decided. Hi, boyfriend. Hi, kitten. Nay says hi. Hi. <laughs> um, Sorry, yeah, the cat yeah, was no, yelling no. and I was like, can you come get her? But... <laughs> Cat, cats and a cat, you know. Cat is um, cat. But it wouldn't be yeah, a podcast episode without without Misu popping up. <laughs> I love that. I wish my dog was here. Um, but yeah, you know, it it it's not something I planned. It's just something I'm trying out. It's like really fun and great right now. I don't know what I'll be doing the rest of my life. It feels excellent to be creative and to try and like harness that energy. Um, uh, but I, I find that what is most fun right now is trying things that I might possibly be bad at, which is usually my worst nightmare. Um, and then discovering like, oh, Hey, that was really fun or being really bad at something, but learning something from it that you, Mm. that's like actually more informative about what you might be good at or like what you might enjoy more. And I think that is just like the coolest thing. I don't think I felt that kind of freedom as a kid to like explore and question and mess up. And like, then I also, you know, you get to like comfort yourself after you do it in a way that's like, I'm an adult. So if my comfort is like smoking a blunt, well then guess what? That's what I get to do. It's just kind of like the best, I don't know. It's just a wonderful place to be in. And I think that the the last straw for me was like well i I'm, i actually don't make enough money anyway so like why not go like make not enough money doing something slightly less awful um or hard or traumatic and i've i've found that yes it's it's actually easier to uh, understand well for me understanding that I actually, my goal actually isn't to be rich. It's just to have my needs met and then hopefully be able to meet the needs of my loved ones and people beyond that who have needs and having that as a goal versus like trying to be wealthy or something. I, it's like, I don't want that unless I'm going to give it all away. So I found that the the combination of trying to be nicer to myself coupled with actually asking for help when I need it is mm-hmm. like, the most wonderful thing that I've ever decided to do. It, I just, I can't believe that when you ask for help a lot of, if you're, I'm a privileged person. I feel like I have a lot of really great people supporting me and like supportive of me. And so I find that when I ask for help, usually someone just helps me and then I have help. And it's, it, it blows my mind that that is like how we get to be treated uh, in some special circumstances. And it's just like so wonderful. So that's awesome. Nay, what movie are we talking about today? 
I can't even remember at this point. Um, <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Earlier when you were giving me a rundown, a rundown of the timeline and you're like, and then nay, I'm going to ask you what movie you could, I'm just like, oh no, what movie did I pick? <laughs> like, you're like, I, why am I here? Like, I just forgot. I was like, I can't remember anything. Uh, I picked the people under the stairs. In every neighborhood, there is one house that adults whisper about and children cross the street to avoid. Now, Wes Craven, creator of A Nightmare on Elm Street, takes you inside. Something's in there. We gotta get out of here, Leroy. All sorts of rumors about what goes on in that house. The police never took it serious. She's been feeding that thing in between the walls again. Very, very tense about this. There must be another way out. Can't get out. No one ever has. What goes on in this house is a sin. Your father's one sick mother, you know that? Actually, your mother's one sick mother, too. But what goes on under the stairs <laughs> is a nightmare. It is time to clean house! Don't put me in there! I can go! Wes Craven's the people under the stairs. Oh my gosh. So people under the stairs, um, just a quick summary for those unfamiliar. From two, adult- <laughs> <laughs> two adults and a juvenile break into a house occupied by a brother and sister and their stolen children. They must fight for their lives. It sounds so basic when you say it like <laughs> I was oh. like, I was looking for like for for any synopsis and I saw that on MDB and I was like, this is just it's I mean it distills it to its basic essence, but man, it does not tell half of the story. So I got to know, Nay, how old were you when you saw this movie? How did you see this movie? And what were your thoughts? I, I, I don't remember the exact age, but I know that I was still in elementary school, but like an older at like a nine or a 10. Yeah. So like fifth or sixth grade, um, which at my little Christian school was still in elementary school. Um mm-hmm. <clears throat> And I watched it. I remember it was at night and I remember my brother actually coming in and out of the room at times and like kind of watching it with me and then leaving. Um, but it scared the shit out of me. And then I completely forgot about it for like, I don't know how many years. Um, but I will actually I'll say that later. I think you're going to ask me questions more pertinent to that thought. Um, but yeah, I, I was pretty young. It had been out though. I want to say it had been out like four or five years though. Cause okay. I, was it 91? Yeah. It came know, out 91. Out? Yeah. And I think, yeah, I guess I was six in 91. I definitely didn't see it at that young of age. It, it was a few years later. Um, and I don't, it was, I remember watching it on the television, but I can't remember if it was a TV channel or if maybe my brother had rented it. I don't know. Cause my brother's 10 years older than me. So mm. yeah, I don't know. I'm not quite sure how I got my hands on it. But um, I remember it being really, really scary, not just for all of the different elements that we were going to talk about, but I, I couldn't articulate it at the time, but I knew, how do I explain this? I knew that there was something racist going on mm-hmm. and I felt like 
uh, and we now we know like it, it was portraying like many different things. And at the time, I knew that I wasn't supposed to watch things that critiqued racism. I know oh. I wasn't supposed to oh. in, indulge in uh, reading or watch anything or people that would that would portray racism uh, 100% accurately <laughs> and then us like form opinions about those people being bad. And I wasn't supposed to watch things that made racist people look bad. I knew mm-hmm. that. And so I, I remember feeling really uneasy about that because I had my own questions. Mm-hmm. And I definitely thought as like a nine-year-old in the Midwest that... Well, I guess we'll we'll talk further about that. But I think my understanding of the movie was still one of like, burglary is wrong and stealing is wrong and drugs are wrong. And so I didn't have like uh, ideas of like how poverty affects communities or like Mm -hmm. my my family was definitely a fan of the Reagans. So I wasn't like, oh, you know, Reagan released crack into the hood. You know, I didn't know any Mm -hmm. of those things. So I just thought it was like, a couple groups of bad people like you shouldn't have broken into the house you shouldn't be stealing you shouldn't be like locking people in the basement you know so i i had a different idea of the movie then for sure but yeah then i i'm sure i didn't think about it for a very long time because right. whenever it's relevant i'll tell you about how i remembered it <laughs> yeah um the other thing i guess were there like specific scenes because i mean you know i mean you're kind of talking about how like you're viewing it now and it's it's terrifying in a completely different way were there things in it because like i can watch i never saw it as a kid but watching it now i could see like specific scenes that like would have probably yeah traumatize me as a kid do you remember any of those oh most definitely I think the the abuse of um Mm. the well she's not a daughter she's well she's like (sighs) there what's her name in the movie I'm already forgetting Alice I I couldn't I couldn't deal with that I think also what was so scary is like there were parts that I was watching with my brother and I think we both were familiar with like certain kinds of abuse and Mm. it was, it, it felt enlightening, but also terrifying to see something on screen uh, like that. And for the context that I could understand at that age, even then knowing that it was wrong was both scary and important for me. So I remember specifically like things about Alice being really, really, really scary to me, but also the, I was, you know, like I said earlier, I didn't like to get caught doing anything wrong. So I actually mostly towed the line. Like I would sneak and watch a movie, but you know, I, I, there were many things that I was not doing and I, you, I never could have, would have broken into someone's house. Mm-hmm. Now, obviously now I'm like, fool, absolutely do it. Like fuck these people. But <laughs> as a kid, you could not have convinced me to do something so bold. Yeah. No, I, and I never. And so as a kid, I also was like sweating, <laughs> like people getting caught and, and, and him being in trouble. I was like, oh my God, like imagine the kind of trouble I would get in. Um, so I remember those two things being specifically so scary to me. It kind of sounds like you almost, you might've saw yourself in Alice because like Alice's whole thing is like, speak no evil, hear no evil, say no evil. It's basically be meek, try not to pull attention to yourself because otherwise I know what the results are because it's living down below us. Absolutely. Totally. And I, I definitely embodied that 
for a large part of my life where I thought that the smallest, the smaller I could be, the quieter I could be, mm-hmm. the more invisible I could be, the the gooder, I know that's not a word, but like being the goodest kid, uh, yep. everything's a word. Let me take that back. Being just as like as angelic as possible would make people yep. leave me alone. Like, yep. please just leave me alone. Yeah, I didn't do anything wrong. I'm towing the line. You're going to be as nice to me as you can be because I am perfect. Yeah. Um, and I think I definitely can see that. Whew. Yeah. I, you know, I, I think, I, I mean, I think things are a little bit better for a lot of queer people, but especially growing up in like the eighties and the nineties, like what you're saying to me about like the kind of be the smallest person, kind of be that wallflower, be the person that is like in the corner. That's like maybe not bringing attention to yourself because you don't want people to find out that you might not be like them. Like that, like that really like rings true for me because I, I remember I, I never saw this movie, but you know, when you are a kid of a certain age, you go through like the, the, the Hollywood, the Hollywood video or the blockbuster or the family store and you see all the VHS covers. And I remember seeing this cover and I, I was, mm-hmm. I loved Wes Craven mm-hmm. because I, Nightmare on Elm Street was the movie that kind of got me into what I consider like horror horror. Cause before that it was like, you know, universal monsters and Abbott and mm-hmm. Costello and all of that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And that was the first movie that an alien that like really hammered home the idea of like horror. Are you gay, Terry? <laughs> are you, no. Are you gay or something? What are you talking about me? <laughs> <laughs> I just love Abbott. And I love Abbott and Costello. Be Frankenstein. I oh my god! Alien. Alien was my favorite. Movie. It's it's my it's one of my favorite movies, and it's I love you. Um, and uh, one of the, one of these days, someone's gonna come on the show, and I'll be able to explain why it's like the movie just that got me want into to it. Hear it so bad, but you won't tell me, and I fucking love Alien. I know it's so good. Um, I don't. And I sorry, side tangent. My dad showed that movie to me, and I. I was not aware of my queerness at the time, but I was like, wow, Ripley's really cool. And I don't think my dad knew. (laughs) I don't think my dad like expected that reaction. He's like, it's a scary alien. I was like, I really love her. (laughs) And then I was like, as I got older, I was like, okay, lots of things are coming back and making (laughs) sense about why these movies were like, I love this movie, but like not for the reason that like my father was expecting. It was more like, I like the lady who is a badass. (laughs) I like looking at her. Yeah. But like, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I, but I, I remember the cover art and I specifically, specifically remember the reverse side. And I don't know if you guys have oh. any memories of the reverse side of this, yeah. of this, but there is a picture of the man in a gimp suit. And I remember seeing that as a young kid and going, I don't know what is going on there because I did not know anything about, but I was like, but this seems like something I should not be watching because it was speaking to me in a way that like young Terry was not prepared to explore or even identify. So like that was a movie that I remember seeing the back of the box and over any other movie, it terrified me because of that one image. And so for the longest time, that movie was verboten for me. I never, I never wanted to seek it out. Even when I was like old enough to rent movies on my own, never touched it because of the things that that image was making me question. <laughs> Holy shit. Wow. I was so deep in the closet at that point. Oh my God. Isn't it so amazing when you like remember these validating stories Yeah. <laughs> about your little gay ass? You're like, oh, <laughs> well, and it's you. so weird because like, I actually had to go Google because I was like, am I misremembering this? And so I Googled mm-hmm. the image of it and no, there is, there's the dude on the back with the gimp suit. And I'm like, yep. That was the image right there. <laughs> that was the image. 
But like that, that moment in that movie when that happened, oh my God. I was like, I don't know what the fuck is going on, but this is the best movie. Like I, I was like, absolutely, this is everything. Like it's it's horrifying, and like I love it's just going all the fuck out. He's just like in a leather gym suit with a shotgun, like man and woman in this movie, they really are leaning in to all of their desires oh my. <laughs> all like, of their that's desires that's one way to put it <laughs> but like only within their their house like they're out right. representing f- totally. uh, forum is pretty much like reagan like i was getting like 1950s mm. housewife from her with her oh, hairstyle yeah. and like her dress and everything and like it, it's like because we're coming out of the 80s and we're we're coming out of like you know the reagan era and we're talking about like the these people that are outwardly facing these normal people but on the inside they're just as rotten as everyone else if not more so and you know it's so like that image right there of this sort of like 1950s nostalgia era like man and woman wife and husband when you and then you find out like how terrible that actually ends up going like incest and everything but it's like the outwardly facing thing and then the inside is just like it's um it's saying a whole lot (laughs) yeah right yeah especially because like i mean it might seem obvious to us now but like you know the there's a line where she says about the cops it's like we're getting treated like prisoners and the criminals are out on the street and free yeah and like they're the ones that are pushing black people out of their neighborhoods and gentrifying it and they're like we're the good guys but actually mm-hmm. they're the mm-hmm. psychotic like and the worst yeah. and it's just like very fascinating to watch like hey guys look maybe white people are the worst <laughs> seriously like the message of that of like having this outward facing seemingly like heteronormative perfect like able-bodied kind nice charming uh, gives the cops coffee kind of vibe of people and wealthy and 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 you know so many people are led to believe that like this is the ideal this is what you should be these are what good people are this is this is kind of like the standard we should all be reaching for this is like when we talk about respectability politics like we're talking Mm -hmm. we should try and be more like these people and it's seen as this ideal and is coupled with all of the privilege that not only comes from being these things already, but then the privilege of like uh, confusing everyone into thinking that that's what we all should be. And that's like what the right thing is. And these motherfuckers are the worst. Like they are garbage (laughs) in every single way. And I think of this often when, when someone, you know, you're talking to them about like, hey, you know, I didn't really care for what your dad said to me at your house the other day. It was kind of racist or like sexist or something. And they're like, oh, my God, he's so nice. He he didn't mean he didn't mean that. Like, these are good people. And you're like, OK, maybe to you they are. But like, you're actually not a good person if you're racist. Like, it doesn't matter, like how nice your hair is done. And if you bring the cops coffee, like you're not a good fucking person. Right. And I think that was part of, as a kid, when I talked about knowing that we weren't supposed to critique this, I think that I, that was a, a huge part of that. Because especially if you grew up like like in a certain religious kind of vibe where it's like you're supposed to grow up to be the mother and have the daddy and like have the perfect children and you're in this home that you own, you're like, those people can't be bad because then I would have to think about why I want those things or if those things are even right for me. And you're not yeah. supposed to do that. 
Well, and I was thinking like this conversation about them bringing, you know, coffee and stuff to the cops. I was also thinking of er very early in the movie, they use a racial slur. And then Mm -hmm. when the cops show up and they're like talking about the people they saw, there's like one was white, one was black. I think they were service people. Like it's like this outwardly facing like, oh, they're just, Mm -hmm. you know, these two people that were doing service stuff, I think. Whereas like Mm -hmm. when they're away from people and they're like on their own with Mm -hmm. their comfortable friends, all of a sudden they can let the, the racial epithets go out, you know? Right. Because slurs are like, for some reason, what people are convinced is like the most racist thing to do or like the Mm -hmm. most homophobic thing. And it's like, actually, when that guy called me a dyke from the passing car, it it maybe hit me right on a certain day and shook me up a little bit. But like, I I was safe in my car and I drove away. Actually, what's more harmful is the people that you think are really nice, but who are like passing legislation that is going to contribute to my death or like, you know, stuff like that. And it's like people for the most part know not to use slurs and to only do it once they are like in their in group with people that they know it's safe to do. But for some reason people think that that's like the worst thing you can do. And so it's like the thing that they understand to avoid, but it's like actually the thinking behind these words or the reason why these words are used, you're still treating people this way. You're just like, you've learned a particular word not to say. And I can't believe the bar that, that is so low, guys. Like, so low. It is just baffling because, like, I have a very shitty family, and it's just like baffling when things come out of their mouths. And I'm just like, I don't understand why you speak like that. And it's just like, with like, you know, but we're good Catholics. I'm like, that's just whatever. It's just frustrating. You know, I like, think it. Well, I don't know. I I'm definitely you know always learning, but when I think about my own family, specifically my white family members, and it's like, sometimes I can get them on the same page with me on certain things and why those things are wrong. Like, I don't have to convince them much. Well, some of them that like the N word is wrong. But if I try to teach them why it's wrong to, to, uh, to have people be drug tested before they receive food stamps, like it's like impossible to explain to them why that's wrong. And it's like when people don't have this larger understanding of white supremacy or like any kind of systemic oppression, it's like they're just poking holes and like they can only learn what's wrong through example and they can't have this like larger understanding underneath to where they can possibly infer like, oh, maybe that's like not the best thing to do. And it's really frustrating because it's like there's certain things that happen in this movie that like I could convince even... some of the most conservative people that like that thing is wrong but then there's all of these other things that you would never convince them of that it's wrong and it's like we're talking about the same systemic oppression right here like this is all connected it's just hard you see a lot in this movie i mean this movie tackles a lot of different um themes like there's you know it's about gentrification it's about racism it's about capitalism it's about the kind of rot in the center of these middle or upper class white Americans like this this movie covers so much ground and it kind of adds to the tone because I feel the tone of this movie is is a lot of whiplash because there's like there's a lot of comedy it's very horrific but then there's moments of of complete and utter comedy I'm thinking in particular about like the dog that like gets thrown through the trap door and goes like on this bizarre slide through the house and comes out of the cupboards like I'm like dying and I was like I shouldn't I feel like I shouldn't laugh but that's really that sounds like the dog's gonna end up at your job (laughs) I will say I know that Prince was like a bad guy I 
felt bad for Prince. I think because I work at an animal shelter. I'm like, he's just a product of his environment. Dumb things that like are not important in the movie, but it's just like another thing. It's like, it's just great to see how people are like, because when they're treated a certain way, they become a certain way. And like, you can't always blame. that. There's a large part of that in the movie in general. Like when you look at um, these different projects that they own, and kind of like what erupts in those environments due to scarcity and poverty and like racist overlords, slumlords. Um, and I think, like I said, when I was younger, I thought that wrong things were just wrong. Stealing is wrong. Breaking in somewhere is wrong. Mm-hmm. And and I thought that people that use drugs are wrong. They chose to use dr- like people. I didn't understand so many different things. And I think that it's always an interesting an important conversation to have in terms of like nature versus nurture and like people being the products products of their environments because you can't understand the historical context of public housing and like white people buying up a bunch of property and gentrification in general you can't understand that and have any kind of knowledge of the the death it brings to communities and still look at poverty the same way and the people who experience that and what they right. have to do to sur- or to try to survive that. And that's not to say that you it you still don't have to like understand that some people just do the wrong thing and 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 it's not necessarily a product of their environment or it is and it still has to be like uh dealt with and navigated. But it's an entirely different story when you actually believe white supremacy exists when it's like manufactured. Yeah. Cause like, it's, it's definitely, I mean, you can really see like, that's, that's one thing I think the movie does, I mean, kind of subtly, but does, does well in like a, in, in a, in a subtle way is, is present this, like the situation where you have a fool or point Dexter who's, you know, his, his family, his mom has cancer and she's dying, you know, like he's going to, they can't, pay their rent so therefore they have to pay three times their amount of rent like the kind of horrible situation that that they're sitting in and you see like the kind of like urban rot of what they're living in that is caused by this white family that is living in on an outward perspective this really nice house and then what really what i thought was really interesting is once you get past like the foyer and you get past like the kitchen and like these the general living area where it's like staged you see that they are just it's it's just as rotten as 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 like the the city that they're that they're turning into rot you know it's like there's like broken things and it's dusty and it's like moldy and it's like disgusting and it's the more you go into it, it's almost like Alice going down like into mm. Wonderland where it's like, it just gets more and more insane <laughs> as he starts to like peel back the layers of this very like frontwardly facing nice white couple. Well, yeah. and I also think it's interesting. It's like, it's like almost it's home alone. And the fact they have like, yeah. all these traps, but their house is, is, feel like rotting because it's their choice like they Mm -hmm. are the ones that like put the kids in the basement they're the ones that have things like and it's like they're they're purposely doing that versus what they are doing to other communities that like have no control so it's very interesting to see like how they have turned their house into a house of horrors on purpose in this giant beautiful house or could have been beautiful house versus the the actual the awful things that they're causing with like using their yeah it's no different yeah it's no different Mm -hmm. except they're doing that on purpose for them and have no idea what they're doing to other communities and then that moment when you see like in the middle of all of their rot that room of money and gold just like casually on the floor like he just walks in and steps on it i'm like 
amongst the like moldy wood and like dynamite rat feces dynamite yeah all of this pile of money doing absolutely nothing like it's not even in a bank collecting interest they're literally just hoarding it in their nasty house it's just sitting there it is literally just sitting there to like rot like dollar bills are just gonna like get moldy down there and everything like they have no care and it's interesting because like at first i was like i was a little um on, on a narrative basis i was kind of annoyed that he got out of the house and then came back but like when I was like thinking back, especially after seeing the big piles of money there, cause he just had like a few gold coins yeah. and you know uh, the, the man is like, Oh, well you could, and this was 91, you could, pay, this will pay for your mom's, you know, surgery and let you live where you're living for another nine years, just the amount, the little amount that he got. And so you see that and you see how, how much it, it matters to them, but how like careless and how like, just like empty it is for this, this, this rich couple. Yeah. I mean, it's part of the, uh, the part that you're just like, that's so disgusting because Mm -hmm. it's like people are dying while this money just sits there and people are hoarding that. And I mean, I think about that in my own life sometimes if I'm like tripping over $50 or and I'm like, I can't believe that my problem today is around $50 and there are people who that would literally never be an issue for. And just like the amount of perspective you get into understanding like barriers and the reality check that these rich folks do not have. That's definitely that moment I had when you, when he finds that room of money doing nothing, Mm -hmm. it's like, it's Mm -hmm. such a slap in the face. And at the time when I was a kid, I was, I was taught that, you know, you work to eat. If you don't work, you don't deserve food. Uh, money that people earn is because they deserve it. Um, I think I thought that even till a couple years ago that like, if I, I just wasn't working hard enough and I just wasn't like trying hard enough and not realizing that if anyone amasses that amount of money, they have to exploit other people to do it. Like that's just not something I understood. Um, and now as the adult who's like, I think everyone should disperse their wealth. I'm like so insulted by the younger self of me who thought that <laughs> that everyone was just getting what they deserved. This was your first time watching it, right, Mary Beth? Yes, it was my first time watching it. I actually knew like nothing about it. What was your experience? I loved it. Yeah, I, I was watching it and I was just like, I had my mouth open the whole time. Just like, <laughs> well, and I'm also, I was, I'm also, I, I tweeted about this. I'm just, it feels like this movie is not talked about enough. And I feel like it's a very, it feels very important to like, in how like Wes Craven addresses these issues. And like, I know he's a white director writing about black people and gentrification, but I think this movie is very good. And it's not talked about very often. And I was kind of, I know it's very wild and like tonally kind of insane, insane, but also like very important and like kind of poignant in what it's saying. Yeah. And so I feel like it's like, it's one of those movies that when people are like, horror isn't political. I'm like, 1991 bitches right there. Have you seen this movie? And like, obviously that's like, there's so many other movies, but it's just like, there's so many things going on in this film and Sometimes it might get a little overshadowed by some of the really absolutely wacky acting that's in it in terms of just like over the top. But I 
I loved it. Yeah, it was I mean, so good. It's messages and still, scary. It's scary. The shit out of me. It scared it's me. Scary. I was like, this is deeply uncomfortable. And all I could think about was like when I lived in the suburbs, like what weird ass <laughs> things were happening behind. Because like you, I would go over to people's houses for sleepovers, and like you know, it wouldn't be that bad, obviously. But like you would see into their houses, and like I had some weird neighbors. So it always like in my head, it just always makes me think about like suburbia and what goes on behind closed doors, and like the very like neat appearance of that nice little road of houses and like you don't know what's going on behind those closed doors so no and the it's like still a relevant story <laughs> like it's like yes, not dated I was at all say, like it's not and it's like these issues are have been a problem for a very long time and like they talk about like I think Ving Rames talks about the gentrification and like taking buying up all the buildings and getting rid of them and making in the liquor, liquor store, store and yeah. everything, yeah. Like and every... it's like, guy, is again, like, hello, everybody. Like, these are not new issues. You know, like... that house is in LA in the West Adams neighborhood, which is a neighborhood near USC, um, slightly south of the 10. Uh, so technically it is South Central, mm-hmm. but kind of on the northern, northern the north, the, the kind of the northest point of South Central, um, right below the 10. And that neighborhood has been in the process of gentrifying, I think since like the fifties or something like I, uh, it's, wow. it's really interesting. I, I lived there for only maybe a year earlier in my LA life. Um, and as you can with most gentrified neighborhoods, you can see kind of the stark contrast between like a new condominium where people are paying, you know, $3,000 a month for a one bedroom. And then like, a house that's been divided into four apartments that's falling apart and is being rented also at an exorbitant rate, but to like people who've been in the neighborhood longer than the newer white folks that can pay a lot of money. And yeah, I think it's interesting that that's part of the history of the movie. Um, It feels very, I think it just adds to the scariness of it because it's not something that we can just act like only happened in the film. Yeah, exactly. Right. And like my, my boyfriend was asking about it. He's like, Oh, is it supernatural? I'm like, no, it's just people being fucking terrible. And like, yeah, it's like, it's like taken extreme, but like, these are just people being terrible human beings. Yeah. Like, but then some people being amazing. I really love the like allyship notes <laughs> in the movie. I know. I yeah. do. I, and I love fool. He's so good in this movie. I ha- like. I don't. He's phenomenal. He's a phenomenal I actor. How do children have that much talent? I'm like, how'd you do that? That's just, like he just is such a. I love him. Yeah, he's just so good. It reminds me. So earlier, I think you asked like when I first watched it, but I I mentioned I didn't. I kind of forgot about it. I didn't think about it for a long yeah. time. Like mm-hmm. I say, at least ten years, and. In college, I don't know about you, I have a lot of reoccurring dreams. Well, I have a, I have yes. a reoccurring Ooh. dream that happens a lot. And that usually the themes in my dreams are like escaping, uh, you know, whether it's like a murder or zombies, but always like fortifying things and creating booby traps and it being like kind of cavernous and like, you know, tricky. Um, and mm. I thought for years that I was having a like Fraggle Rock slash Home Alone nightmare. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and then f- watched this movie in college and was like, Ooh. are all of my nightmares based on this movie? <laughs> and it oh my God. ripped me the fuck out because I realized how 
how impacted I had been because it was so scary to me thinking about trying to escape that house. And I'm sure I was also very much so thinking of Home Alone and Fraggle Rock and probably um, the the second Texas Chainsaw Massacre, Massacre of just being like very like, you know, cavernous and scary and dark and weird um, and trying to save yourself and like build booby traps and fortify things. But um, yeah, I realized so much longer after I had seen it that I had completely pushed it out of my memory because it was too traumatic, except that I was dreaming about it most nights. Holy shit. And still do. Still do. Um, That's so fucking wild. Yeah. The, the, the scene where the, the basement stairs can just go flat and you slide back down there. Yeah. I have had several dreams that the stairway to hell does that. Oh shit. (laughs) Like a psycho. Oh my God. Um, Yeah. And I, I used to think like, wow, you little psychotic bitch. Like, how did you come up with that? (laughs) Um, And then I see the movie. Wes Craven dug his fingers into your brain and just sat there forever. And just like sat there and just kind of. What an honor. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, You know, I was like, the booby traps are just like, like, it's like the, it's home alone. Alone. it's like almost like the goonies like you almost want to totally. be like because i thought about the goonies when they found the room full of money at the yeah. end too and i was like this could be so funny if it wasn't so sinister and it's so interesting how the booby traps can be like that weird line of both slapstick comedy and horrific mm-hmm. and wow i had I'm also terrified of big houses. And so this movie very much tapped into like the fear of like a never ending hallways and like, Oh, that's right. I remember that about you and things that like, cause I have reoccurring dreams and I have reoccurring dreams about being trapped in a giant house and can't find my way out. Well, Mm-hmm. Still haven't found out why that's happening, but maybe one day. But if you'd um, seen this movie, we would know because, <laughs> like, that is a fear in this movie. Yeah. yeah, but like that movie tapped into that fear a whole lot, especially when you see like the shots of Fool looking so small in the hallways and trying to open all oh the doors. God. And I'm and like, I know, and he just opened the doors, and then like he co- they come out of the crawl spaces, and they're a whole other part of the house. And I'm like, Mm-mm. no, thank you don't like it so this movie just like really did also tap into that kind of like holy shit like i can't handle those kinds of spaces in a way that was like i should be laughing but it's not fun it's not really that funny i don't think you can think it's i don't think you can find even the camp of like mommy and daddy in this movie the the like kind of slapstick like reactions to like different things i don't know if you find them that funny if you actually believe in racism like i feel like you you just for me, I'm like I just cannot because it's gonna sour everything. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Because you like it's like campy and slapsticky, but then you're also like, but they're really awful. Like it's not like there's anything redeemable yeah, about yeah. them. Like you're like they're just awful, and they're playing up the fact that they are just horrific. Yeah. And so, right, I was like, I because I'm watching it, I was like, I sh- this this feels like it should be funny, but it just doesn't it doesn't feel <laughs> correct. Like I didn't want to laugh yeah, ever. Right. I was just like this just feels even grosser because it's like, haha, you thought this was supposed to be funny, but actually it's just going to make you feel worse. And I'm like, it worked. <laughs> you know, the thing that I really like, <laughs> the thing I really like about Wes Craven is how he tells a story because a lot of his stories have a fairy tale aspect mm-hmm. to it. And the way that like he frames it, I mean, you, you could look at an, an Iron Elm Street because it's very like dreamlike and it's very, it's, it's a fable about this dark man that lives in your dreams or we're talking about like even new nightmare where it actually like pulls from Alice in Wonderland when, when, with like the way that, you know, Heather Langenkamp goes down and 
into like the hole and ends up in like this fantasy world. And this movie, the way it opens up with the tarot reading and like, it's sort of like this kind of prophecy about, about fool and how, you know, you can't escape death. And then, well, how, how would you escape? And he's like, I'm going to turn around and walk. And he's like, well, then you'll walk through the fire and it'll burn away all the boy and you'll become a man is basically what it's talking about. But it also pulls from Jack and the Beanstalk. I mean, this is basically Jack and the Beanstalk Mm -hmm. where it's like, you know, this, this, this kid, he ends up instead of like finding like a magic seed that pulls up a beanstalk, he goes into this house that is commandeered by two ogres, two giants, two horrible people that it's like fee fi fo fum, you know, and that's what they are. And so like, there's this aspect of that as well as like this aspect of like Alice in Wonderland, because the more you start to go into this house, the more it like, like reality becomes like impossible to, to reconcile with the shit that is happening inside the depths of this house so it's like i always find it interesting how he how he like spins a story while being about very real very horrific things yeah i never thought about it like jack and the beatstock really it's just something like i was like watching this and i'm like i, I was thinking about him in, in fairy tales because like i'm i'm like obsessed with how how west tells a story when the ones that he's written and like i was like th- this just feels like another fairy tale that he would that he would tell that is like grounded in in reality because that's that's kind of what you know fairy tales are it takes this fantastical approach to something to tell real world fears and real world issues that are happening did he write this one mm-hmm. okay <sighs> yeah. yeah i just keep thinking about alice it's just so good it is so good alice. i keep thinking about alice and the the people under the stairs and how i definitely didn't think anything about this as a child but now seeing and understanding the importance of allyship um, mm-hmm. and how the allyship in this movie with Fool comes from very disenfranchised, like white folks. And, yeah. and I, I, something that I deal with with my family a lot when trying to explain white privilege is that it is very hard to convince a poor white person that they have white privilege. It it is just like, they're like, I don't understand. I don't have any money. How are you saying that I have privilege? Um, and obviously, historically, a lot of work has been done to convince poor white people that they don't have as much in common with people of color and other minorities. But it's like still such a hard road. And I love how in this movie, it's like Alice and um, her brethren and sisters and everyone else under the stairs, like, ew, I hate that I gendered that just going to say that all of the uh, people under the stairs, they, they didn't have a lot to offer, but they had something to offer and they did that. And the thing is it brings everybody up. Like fighting for people with less than you also benefits you, especially Mm -hmm. the less that you have. And I have, Mm -hmm. it's always hard for me to wrap my mind around like when poor conservative white folks don't believe in welfare or like unemployment benefits or like whatever the thing is they're thinking about this week. And I'm like, you need that. Why don't you, why don't you believe in that? I don't understand. Well, it's like, not, they think it's a race issue and it's like, no, welfare, like it's a race issue, but also like you're, you also benefit from welfare if you take it, you know what I mean? Like yeah. they make these things. Also read anything ever and understand that way more white people receive government benefits and subsidies than anyone else. Like, it's not like white folks are not already taking advantage of it. It's just packaged differently. Um, and there's like less shame attached to it because that's the point. Yeah. So yeah, 
thinking about like this, this idea of like allyship, you, you said something when we first started talking about your childhood before we even start talking about this movie where you were, you were saying that like, you know, there's, there's this idea of, of, of keeping like this, the kind of the status quo. And that if, if you start to like pick at these words and start to like believe things that like all of a sudden you'll see that the words that are being told to you aren't exactly true. Yeah. And it's like actually keeping you in like, in like a place. Yeah. And I, and I thought of that, like, and I, and I immediately like took a note down because I wanted to bring this up in this movie, because that's, that's basically what happens to Alice and what happens to the people under the stairs where it's like the, the two, the two villainous people, the mom and, and the dad or the man and the woman are, they set these rules of like, don't talk about evil, don't recognize evil, don't see it, don't hear it. And it's by pulling at those strings that you start to see that like everyone ends up coming out of the, the basement. And it's like, no, you got to talk about things. You got to be able to recognize this as evil and say something and actually do action. And so like when they're starting to crawl through the house, like I immediately started, bring, it brought to mind immediately like Night of the Living Dead, mm. because you have like the ghouls, you know, breaking into the house at the end, yeah. but you have people coming out, but it's actually a positive thing this time. And it's like an inverse of the evil outside breaking into the family house. Now it's like, no, we got to tear the structure apart because it's going to help us all. And it just, it made me really emotional between them coming out and then the whole crowd of people oh, yes. that were at the front of the door, like demanding, yes. you know, justice at this point that I'm like, yes, this is, yes. this is kind of what needs to happen. Yes. It's such a, it's such a potent metaphor. Yes. It's like, this is exactly what needs to happen. It's like the folks outside the house fighting for this, they've been doing that. They've been doing yeah. that. And I was also thinking of that earlier when we talked about, um, you know, Wes Craven having written, written this and, you know, he's a white dude telling black people stories. Um, and then we talked about people who say horrors, like just now political. It's like, if you are ever telling black people stories, it's political, period. Like it's, mm -hmm. it's never not. I mean, I wish people realized that all stories and like everything is political. It's just that they have privilege right. to not think about it. But like, right. black folks, I mean, if you watch any kind of black film ever, it's going to mention, mention issues that you're like, oh, wow, it's 2020. And actually that's still a problem. Black people, trans folks, queer people, like we have been fighting for these things for a long time, but we need mm -hmm. help from people inside the house. Yeah. Like we're yeah. outnumbered yeah. and we have been on purpose denied power and privilege. And I think you're right. It's a really powerful metaphor about standing up for what you know is right even if you think it's not something immediately affecting you but how we yeah we need allyship for sure we need true true allyship which is work you yeah. know it's not just a, a title you're given for like being slightly anti-racist you know? it makes you uncomfortable yes. too it, it might make you uncomfortable because like it made us alice uncomfortable because like she's confronted with this like this truth and she's like I, you can't do that you'll get in trouble mm -hmm. and you know obviously the people in the in the in the, in the basement in the they, they have been you know they've had their tongues cut out yes. or their ears cut off or whatever the case may be they yes. have been they have they have seen that and yet, so they have been forced into this area of like, I can't speak up. Yeah. I can't do this because if I do it, then things are going to get worse for me. Yeah. But it's yeah. obviously by the end of the movie, it's everyone coming together and saying, fuck you to, <laughs> to the, yeah. the patriarchy. And then this like this establishment that has kept things shitty for everyone except for them. Right. And like with Alice, it's like if she, the moment she had to understand that the things happening to her were wrong in addition to the things happening to literally everyone that mommy and daddy are like around it's 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 
it reminds me of, of probably what happens for white folks who, who realize that they have participated in racism, whether they thought so or not, or cis people yeah. when like I've realized that I've done transphobic things and everything starts yeah. to unravel and you have to like think about all of these things you've been taught and how they're wrong, the things that you've done that were wrong and like how you like bring justice to those things. Like, yeah, it's hard, of course but it's, it's mm-hmm. necessary. Like we have to get over ourselves and our pride that we may hold around, like thinking we're like so good to other people. And maybe often we are, but it's so important and so essential and necessary for us to also understand that we cause harm. Um, and that we often just have the privilege of not having to think about certain things and that it's right. going to be gutting when you realize that everything you've been taught or some of the things that you've been taught are wrong and that you have participated in that. Yeah. Well, and I think back to even how the movie starts where, you know, basically in the structure of the movie fool is our entry point to this world. So in a way he's like the audience cipher. He is like us. We are following his perspective. So fool is us. And the opening lines of the movie is basically you're the fool. And he's like, I don't like being called that. And he's like, well, it's not because you're stupid. It's just that you're ignorant. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, it's almost as if like Wes Craven is like telling the audience, like, I'm not calling you stupid that you don't realize this is, this is happening, but you were just ignorant. And I'm here, let me take you on this journey of what is happening and let me show you this. And I, some of it, I think might be a little, little too subtle for like people that are deeply like, you know, closeted in that, in that yeah. kind of regard. But like, that's kind of what the story is doing. Yeah. I love the yeah. moment when Alice sees the dog attacking fool and you see her hesitation. And then she like goes and grabs the dog. And I'm like, yes, white woman, like, this is how you ally. You took into account that it was dangerous and that you kind of didn't really want to have to do it, but you fucking did it anyway. And it worked. <laughs> yes. Mm-hmm. Like this is, this is a, this is a moment. This is a lesson. And I, I know you don't like that fool leaves and then comes back, but the fact that he goes back. Well, I didn't initially, but. I was going to say, I loved it. I love it. I was like, look at him. He could have just fucking left and been like, fuck you, dude. Like, I'm not dealing with this. But he was like, I'm going to come back and save everybody. And like, not just Alice, but the people under the stairs too. I was like. You know, it's it's like Stacey Abrams and all the the voter registration helpers in Georgia. Mm. Like, you know, Black people, we are not going to leave you behind. We we, we don't do that. We know too much to do that. Yeah. And I I know I got really emotional when he went back for her. Although part of me was like, you don't have to leave that little white girl. Like, no, like you don't risk your life. (laughs) I feel like there's often so many movies where like a crazy white person gets saved by a Black person. Like, I think obviously like that, the black savior or like reasonable black best Mm -hmm. friend is often like sacrificed for, you know, other folks. But I think it's pretty spot on for just like a lot of different cases because it's like uh, fighting for what we fight for is going to impact other people. It's like when we try to not be ableist, like it doesn't only help disabled people. It literally helps accommodate all of us. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I and I think that's kind of the message of this film. It, it's it's the kind of like we have to be in this together. We have to lift things up, and we have to like break these these bars that are holding everyone down. Whether you are inside the house and being kept quiet, or you're outside the house, yeah, we have to break it down. Yeah. Oh, such a good movie. God, 
This movie's so good. Um, is there anything else you want to talk about or do we want to wrap up? This has been like, I was so excited to talk about this movie. So I'm very glad that we got a chance to chat about this. For sure. Me too. Um, do we want to give this our rating out of five? Yeah. Okay, Terry. Um, how many leather gimp suits out of five do you get? <laughs> we didn't even talk about that, but like, it's like not even like worth talking about. It's like, that's not even like that important in the grand scheme. <laughs> No, but I mean, it, it was it was for a little little old Terry oh, seeing yeah. this movie. Oh, yeah. in the, in You're like, I have no <laughs> idea what's going on except for that. But anyway, how many leather gym suits out of five do you give this movie, Terry? Oh man, I mean, I, five. Like, I, I I I don't know what else exactly to say about this movie that we haven't talked about over the last you know bit. I think one thing that um that did kind of another thing that I think Wes Craven did really well, and he does this a lot is the, the insertion of there's a brief moment. It's very brief, but it's, it's when there's the television and it's a movie playing and it gets interrupted with the missiles flying. over Yes. Baghdad. yes. Oh my, I, yeah. I was going to burn that up, but I totally forgot. Yes. It kind of, it, it kind of brings this whole thing home and it's, it's, it's that moment combined with everything else that I think gives us five for me, because it's, it's that little moment where it's saying, see, this house is America and you can see like these missiles shooting off of what, what, what's happening outside of America that America thinks is so bad or so horrible or what is going on outside Mm -hmm. while all of this stuff is happening internal because we are so focused on what's happening out outside of us than we are fixing our own issues. And so it's this moment in this film that is just, it's a, it's almost like a throwaway line. Like it's, it's so brief and it's just, it's, it's what's also being shown the people underneath the stairs and keeping them entertained is this moment of like, what is happening outside? Because if you're focused on what's happening outside, you're not focusing on fixing yourself or rising up and fixing oh. the problems that are affecting your house Yeah, and the house in this movie, the people under stairs is us. We are living in the house of America. And that is kind of what this, this is saying. So like, I can't not give it five because even though I do think there are some tonal things and I think there's some performances that are like incredibly over the top and there's a little bit of iffy acting i think the message in here and the stuff that we've talked about over the last however long it's been i it's a five for me what about you mary beth i'm the same five leather gimsuits out of five i i was um i i was you know doing some self-torture last night and reading negative letterbox reviews about this movie (laughs) because i couldn't understand why people wouldn't like this movie and there were some people that I knew that didn't like it at all. And they were like, this doesn't make any sense. And I just like, it makes me, fr- it frustrates me because I think this is such, I mean, I've only seen it yesterday, but like, it's a really good, it's like one of those movies that like has a very specific vision and like Wes Craven just goes all the fuck in on it. And I love that kind of like, I don't care. I'm just going to go in and like, it's going to be over the top and it's going to be a little bit weird, but I also don't care. Like it's a really important message and an important movie. So I think I just admired that about his direction for it. And I just think it's a movie that has not, is not talked about nearly enough for how relevant it still is and how important I think it still is. Well, I remember Jordan Peele actually bringing up um, a point that like it was this movie in, in, in some way that helped in, in, inform Get Out. And I, I know that mm. he it was announced earlier this month that yeah. like he is going to produce like a remake of it. Yes. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yes. I wonder how that's going to be. I know. I'm like, I'm like, are I'm you writing curious. any of it? Are you like, I know. I'm yeah. super <laughs> curious as well. I know. Because I'm wondering if it's going to be as campy or if he's going to go like full. Se- I feel like he probably will go more serious, like 
full serious, I so. but I hope so. Oh, well. Yeah. But um, nay, I think I know the answer. But how many <laughs> other gym suits out of five? The final you word. Give, the final word. Oh yes. Uh, well, first I did want to uh, mention something from what Terry was talking about mm-hmm. with the the bombs over Baghdad and us thinking things outside of where we are are so much worse. And it's like, obviously we are very much so taught to think that everyone else is so barbaric and everyone else is so uncivilized. And meanwhile, we're doing like the most disgusting things right on our side of the fake line we created to call a border. And um, it's like, it, it also reminds me of how all of our liberation is tied to everyone else's liberation. Like it, it, it's, something that I think a lot of oppressed people understand. Um, I don't know if you've ever like, uh, you've ever heard like someone say a slur that doesn't, that doesn't correlate to any of your identities and you like tell the person like, hey, that's wrong. And they're like, why do you care? You're not X, Y, or Z. And you're like, cause it's right. fucked up. <laughs> like, I don't have to be that to, to understand that. Um, and it reminds me of that. So I would, I definitely obviously have to give it five gimp suits Speaking of the gimp suit, like that was the only thing that and like him being called daddy in the get like with the gimp suit, like that's so hot. <laughs> I just put that out there. I like I I love that so much. Um, uh, yeah, five gimp suits. I think it's so good, still relevant, fucking scary as hell, and. Of course, over the like I, but I love over yeah. the top art camp. Like I, you know, I love it. it. It endears things to me because, like we've all talked about before, I think so many of the things we do as queer folks, uh, as as black people, like anybody that is an other, gets seen as over the top or campy because other people can't understand it or they don't have the cultural reference for it, or they've been taught that like what other people do is weird or ugly, and it's like, I'm just this is just me. Um, so I, I, I think that those parts of the movie are pretty endearing. Um, five, yeah. five suits. Also, just a side note, it's big. It's, it's Twin Peaks couple, Big Ed and Nadine, because I'm a Twin Peaks person. And it was just very funny to see them in a very different dynamic. <laughs> <laughs> so I just went, that's just very fascinating to me. But yeah. yeah. Well, thank you so, so, so much, Nay, for joining us to talk about yeah. the people under the stairs. Uh, where can our listeners find you and what do you have coming up you'd like to share? Uh, you can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Black Cupcake. That's uh, B-L-A-K-K Cupcake. Um, and I know I keep saying this, but I really do have some very cool things in development right now um, that I can't announce yet because what if it doesn't work out and then I'm just embarrassed. So <laughs> I'm always working on something, always scheming. Um, and I'm really happy to have been here with both of you. Uh, this has been like a really nice uh, really nice two hours for me in a time that isn't always so nice. So Thank you. You also have your uh, your artist um, Instagram yes, account. Yes, you can find my art stuff through my main account, um, but I do have an art uh, Instagram under Gaudy Los Angeles. We'll put that in the show notes, everyone, so you yeah. can make sure yeah. to follow it. Yeah. Um, so everyone, you've heard from us, but we want to hear from you. What was your experience with the people under the stairs? You can send us an email at scarredforlifepodcast at gmail.com, or you can reach out to us directly on Twitter. I'm at MB McAndrews. And I'm McGeely Dreadful. And of course, don't forget to follow the podcast at Scarred Podcast. And please don't forget to review, rate, and subscribe. Thank you to Steve Barnold for our artwork. 
Clark. Thank you to Sean Keller for our music. Thank you everyone for listening. Please stay safe out there, but most importantly, stay creepy. And until next time. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. What is The Briefing Room? It's a behind-the-scenes look at how the criminal justice system works and the lives of the people within that system. If you love true crime, well, these are the real people who do the job every day of making sure justice is served. Hi, I'm Detective Dave. I'm Detective Dan. Together, we have decades of experience in local law enforcement, a profession that we think is often misunderstood. So we're going to explore how to do it right, and we won't shy away from when it's done wrong. These are stories you'll hear nowhere else. Unique, frank, and unvarnished. From the team that brought you Small Town Dicks, this is The Briefing Room. Episode 1 drops on August 30th. We'll meet you in The Briefing Room. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.